Hello, and thank you for joining us on our Fort Road Victory Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us or get connected, please head to our website at frvc.ca. Now on with the sermon. Hey, how many people here have weird neighbors? Maybe you have like a neighbor that is kind of funny. Okay, I have some stories about weird neighbors. Um, When I was like in uh, my junior high years, I lived in this house and our next door neighbors, they had like a lot of windows and they would leave their front door open with just a screen door and they would play like really loud music, especially on Saturdays because Saturdays was the day that like the man would like have, you know, his cleaning duties and he'd be going around the house with his shirt off and his jean shorts, and just like cleaning away with the music blasting. It was always kind of like an interesting sight to see. Um, I had this other neighbor, and uh, you know, it, this was actually like, I was kind of being the bad neighbor at this point, but it, we, I moved into a new house, and then me and my friends, we set up like the sound system in our living room, like our home theater, and we were like, wow, let's see what'll happen if like, we really crank it up and like how it sounds in this room. So we were like absolutely blasting you know, some music, that we just set this thing up, and my neighbor, next door neighbor came, like, running across the lawn, ringing our doorbell, being like, um, excuse me, the, uh, the, like, ornaments on our mantle are kind of shaking, and we're afraid they might fall off. <laughs> uh, it was pretty funny. Um, you know, what about, what about people that maybe don't live next to you, but maybe they, like, you go to work with them, or you go to school with them, and they're kind of weird? You know, when I was in university, I remember the... <laughs> One of the coolest things that ever came to university was Wi-Fi, but one of the worst things that ever came to university was Wi-Fi. Um, I'd be sitting in class, and somebody two rows up and to the right is, like, watching Friends, like, a whole season of Friends on their laptop. And I'm like, how am I supposed to listen to this prof when I got this really interesting show with subtitles going on over here? Like, man, it's really hard to focus. Um, I used to work in car rentals in Ottawa, and I had this really interesting coworker. He would... Um, take out this chair in the afternoon we'd be at the rental counter and he'd take out this chair he'd be sitting in the chair and he would start to f- like nod off and fall asleep and then not only that but he would start to snore like you have to picture this it's a car rental counter and you walk up and some guy sitting off to the side snoring like it was kind of weird you know what I'm saying I think we all have weird stories about neighbors right like you all have that one person and you're like I don't know what they're about I don't know what their deal is but I don't really want to engage with them too much maybe I'll I'll just keep them at a distance and I thought, maybe there's like even weirder stories than mine. So I went fishing, and I caught some pretty interesting stories. Check this out. Um, this is from this radio station in Barrie called Cool FM. I guess they polled their listeners, and this is what one submission was. Our first crazy neighbor lived across the street, and mostly it was their teenage son who was wild and crazy. My desk sat while I was working, or sorry, my desk sat at the window looking out onto their house while... And one afternoon while I was working, they started yelling, and there was commotion coming from the garage. Next thing I knew, they were pulling the old sofa onto the driveway as it was on fire. Can you imagine? Um, Here's another one from a Toronto Sun column who was talking about people that he had spoken to. Back in 1985, Marcia moved into a townhouse only to discover that the neighbors kept a noisy goat in the backyard. Marcia discovered that a single goat is regarded as a pet under city bylaws. I didn't include the second half of the story because it wasn't a happy ending for the goat. Um, But despite all these weird stories about neighbors, there's actually another trend happening right now where we're actually getting to know our neighbors less and less. You guys noticing this? Um, 
there was a poll done. It was like a kind of like a survey poll. It was a, a scientific research thing that was done in Toronto by the Toronto Foundation, and they they here, here are the results. Okay, fifty eight percent of the people they polled said they only knew a few neighbors. Eight percent said they knew none. Okay, so if you look at that, sixty six percent of those who were in that poll, which is like a large majority, two thirds, two thirds majority knew like some or none of their neighbors, which is kind of a weird thing if you think about it. I mean, now we're more connected so we can talk to like our friends and our loved ones all day long. We don't really need to talk to our neighbors. And there was a time when if you didn't know your neighbors, then there's a chance that your farm might catch on fire and burn to the ground. So there was a time when knowing your neighbors, there was more of an urgency for it, at least like in our temporal and our physical world. But now it seems like people know their neighbors less and less and less and less. And to us, I think as a church, it's something that we need to pay attention to. It's something that we need to catch on to. Because I think God is calling us to live a little bit different than just a trend. So if you look at this, okay, look at this trend and look at what's happening. You know, and think about last week Pastor Paul started the series, um, Neighbors, and we're on part two this week. He did an amazing job of reminding us of the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's our central text for the series. And he reminded us that, hey... You know, originally, we were the guy who was beat up on the side of the road. We weren't the good Samaritan, right? Come on. If that's you, I need, to, I need to know you're with me this morning. I need to know that somebody's hearing what I'm saying, okay? This is really important that we get this as a church. Um, we learned that we're not actually the good Samaritan. We're the guy who's beat up on the side of the road. And if it wasn't for what Jesus did for us, we would still be that guy who's just beat up on the side of the road. At best, we might be a religious person that would pass them by, but to be the good Samaritan, it would be impossible if it were not for what Jesus did for us. And out of that love that Jesus has for us, Pastor Paul talked about how it creates a burden for us to actually close the distance between our neighbors and us. We need to not only be willing to be a neighbor to them, but allow them to be neighbors to us. Humble ourselves and say, oh wow, my neighbor wants to be nice to me, I'm going to let them be nice to me and not be a you know, a stiff-necked, nose-up, self-righteous person, right? So um, it it was like a great start. And this week, we're going to look at, okay, part two. What does it look like to begin to close that distance between our neighbors and us? Um, I want to read you a story, but before I do, I'm just going to give you a little bit of context. Um, I'm going to read this text from the book of John this morning. And John is, his gospel is so different than the other three. It's so rich in symbolism and pointing to who Jesus is and the mystery that we have in Christ. It's absolutely incredible, and this story is no exception. What happens is Jesus is with his disciples, and he just came off this um, really cool, you know, thing, uh, miracle that just happened. And now he's, he's coming to the temple, and there's this pool there, and it's called the Pool of Bethesda. And it was near the temple, and people would kind of hang out there. Um, because they wanted to get healed. And there was a legend around that pool that basically an angel would come and stir it up, and if you were the first one to jump in, you know, the first one to jump in when the pool gets stirred up, then you would get healed of whatever you had. So think about this, okay? Think about the scene as Jesus is walking in. By the way, Bethesda is an Aramaic word, which means house of mercy. Keep that in mind, because it's going to come back later, and it's really important, okay? So here we're at the pool of the house of mercy, basically the pool of Bethesda, and we have Jesus... And he's walking, and the text shows, okay, we're going to read it together, but basically there were these porches, 
uh, these covered porches where the sick people would kind of hang out and wait for the pool to get stirred up. So, I mean, you, this is kind of a weird scene, right? Like, you have this pool, an angel stirs it up, and it's like, the first person, it gets healed! And you've got hundreds of people waiting by the side, like, oh, maybe next time. You know? Like, it's kind of, it's not really, I mean, we're by the temple, it's kind of like this pool, house of mercy, but really, how many people are actually finding mercy? I'm not sure. Probably not that many. So, anyways, let's read together from John chapter 5. If you got your Bibles, tablets, iPhones, uh, you know, laptop, uh, that would impress me if you were taking notes on a laptop, but... Um, Turn to John chapter 5. We're going to go 1 to 15. And if you don't have a Bible, then you can follow along on the screen. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. That was the Sabbath. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. Um, One of them uh, lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Can we stop here for a second? Okay, so Jesus looks at him, and he doesn't just, you know, go over and say, okay, here, be healed. I see that you're sick. He asks him, would you like to get well? See, Jesus is engaging this guy. He's not just going and saying, hey, I have what you need. Here you go. See you later. He wants to engage him in a conversation. And hear what the guy says. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat. Or sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself here. The guy says, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And he doesn't really answer Jesus' question, does he? He doesn't say, yes, I want to get well, but he just kind of gives the excuse. So then Jesus cuts through all his excuses and says, all right, stand up. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Okay, now normally, you know, if we're reading a story of Jesus, he performs a miracle, we can stop here. You know, okay, nice. He heals the guy, great. Jesus is Jesus, he's performing miracles. He's God, that's what he's supposed to do. Amen. But, the story does not end here. Now there's like a controversy happening. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly the man was healed. He gets up. He picks up his mat. So the Jewish leaders objected. Why? This miracle happened on the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. Jewish tradition. Now we're we're falling into some dangerous territory here. Jesus is stepping on some toes. And they go, yeah, okay. You know, they're, they're upset. And they say, hey, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Okay, pay attention to something here. This guy was there for 38 years. 38 years, this guy, um, other versions will call him an invalid, which means he couldn't walk. He couldn't actually get up by himself and go into the pool. So there were a lot of people over 38 years who were a neighbor to this guy. A lot of people. But yet, year after year, day after day, week after week, they ignore him. They ignore him. And, you know, it would have been, a, to be honest, if they wouldn't have, if they would have, you know, tried to help him into the pool, Well, that would have meant they didn't get their healing. So it would have been a costly act of generosity for sure. 
It would have been something that would have been very costly. How fitting that our tithing verse for this month is talking about counting the cost of what it takes to serve Jesus. None of these people would have realized that, hey, following Jesus, there has a cost, right? There's a cost to it. It is the exact reason why nobody wanted to help this guy. It would have cost too much. So he's been here for a long time. He's been ignored. He's been overlooked. He's been passed over. And Jesus comes on the scene. Okay? Now, Jesus comes on the scene. And now, you have to understand, this was the Sabbath. So Jesus would have been totally right to say, well, I could heal him, but it's the Sabbath. I don't want to do work on the Sabbath. And he would have been justified in everybody's eyes. Nobody would have said a word. They would have been like, oh, well, it's the Sabbath, so yeah, he can't do it today. It's all good. His followers wouldn't have huddled against him nothing. They would have said, oh, yeah, perfectly reasonable. Jesus is, you know, respecting the law. He's being a, you know, good rabbi, good teacher, awesome, good stuff. But Jesus doesn't use that excuse. Instead, he interacts with this man, and he heals him, which is awesome. Now, it's very important to understand, he doesn't heal him in a way that where he says, oh, okay, let's get you healed and throw you in the legendary pool and hopefully you'll get bane well. Jesus does something for him that he could not have done for himself. Remember, last week Pastor Paul talked about the fact that Jesus does something for us. He loved us. He saved us. And out of that, we need to love our neighbors, which means it needs to lead to a place where something is done for them they could not have done for themselves. Okay. So instead of just throwing him into the pool, he actually gives them a surefire healing. Because this is who Jesus is. We weren't supposed to put our hope in human tradition or legend or superstition. We were supposed to put our hope in Jesus. Come on. So now he doesn't stop there. He doesn't, Jesus could have stopped there. The story would have kept going. It would have been awesome. But he goes back and he finds him in the temple. And this is where the trouble starts, right? Jesus goes back. And he doesn't just deal with his sickness, he deals with his soul. He goes back and he says, hey, now that you're made well, stop sinning or something worse might even happen to you. What do you think that something worse was? Well, it would have been being separated from Jesus because of his sin, right? So here's Jesus. He walks in and he goes, hey, he deals with his soul. It's one thing to engage with your neighbor and like shovel their driveway or like buy them a coffee. It's another thing to get into a space where you start talking about their soul. Anybody agree with me? It can get awkward. I'm not going to lie. You know, sometimes you're trying to create a conversation where somebody can, you know, actually talk about what's really going on in their life. Not the fact that they need help shoveling. The snow's going to melt in, you know, June probably. But, like, you don't actually... The, the snow is not what's going to keep you eternally separated from Jesus. Your, you know, lack of caffeination is not what's going to keep you from eternity with Jesus. It's not just the coffee. It's not just the snow. Jesus goes beyond that. He's showing us. He's trying to show us, hey, yes, I want my power. I want, I want people to encounter me in a real way where they, know, they have an experience with my presence. But it's not just about our physical bodies and our earthly experience. It's about our eternal destiny. Right? Come on. So now the trouble starts, right? Jesus engages this man's entire being, not just his body. Why does he do that? He's trying to show us something. 
You know what? Here's the key takeaway for today. This is what Jesus is trying to show us. Jesus is deeply interested in those we ignore. Jesus is deeply interested in those we ignore. That's a hard thing to say amen to. Because it might mean that you might have to stop ignoring somebody today. You might go home and see a neighbor that you don't like. Maybe they smell funny. Maybe their lawn's always long. Maybe their car is always parked in the spot where you want to leave your car. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm interested in that person that you're ignoring. The following, this follow-up here affirms it that much more. Let's, let's keep reading what happens after, okay? Because now there's even more happening. And Jesus doesn't just stop there. Now he explains what's going on. John 5, 16 to 21. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly, truly be astonished. For just as the father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the son gives life to anyone he wants. See, Jesus was interested in this everyday, ordinary, overlooked man who was a neighbor to a lot of people, not just to make him physically well, but to give him life that only Jesus could give. It says it right here. The son gives life to whoever he wants to give life to. So we have to pay attention to this. We have to pay attention. This is so important. Jesus is interested in those we ignore. Not just to be nice, not just to be kind, not just to be polite, but to give life. Because there's a life that only Jesus can give. We have that life inside of us. And he's saying, hey, that neighbor that you keep ignoring, whether it's a coworker, classmate, whether it's somebody at your gym who's always working out and taking up too much space on the machine that you're always trying to get on, maybe they're always on the Stairmaster, and you're like, oh, this guy again. There is a mandate that Jesus is showing us here. Go and engage that person that you're ignoring because I am interested in them. I am interested in them. Not just for courtesy, not just for politeness, not just, hey, I'm new to the neighborhood. I just moved in. Here's a $5 gift card. It has to go beyond just being nice. Listen, we live in Canada. There's a lot of nice people here. A lot of really nice, polite people here who really actually don't care about you. That's the, that's the flip side of the Canadian niceties, right? We're nice, we're polite, but sometimes we, we don't really go beyond that in caring about people. Oh, hey, how's it going? Oh, sorry, you first. And then the person goes by and we're like, jerk. Smelly, grumpy. Man, I don't like that guy. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that person you keep overlooking, that's the one I'm interested in. I think it's so important. Look, mundane moments can have miraculous potential if we're obedient. Mundane moments, that moment when you open a door for somebody, it can lead to something else. It can lead to a space where a different conversation can start happening. I want to 
I want to challenge everybody here. It seemed like the, the guy by this pool only needed to get healed, but he actually needed something much deeper than that. You know, you can have a relationship with Jesus if, like, you're lame or crippled or blind or, you know, mute. You can still have a relationship with Jesus. It's possible. You know, if you never deal with your sin, you can never have a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus comes in and he deals with that guy's sin. He says, hey, it's time. So I think what we have to be honest about here, there's people in our day-to-day lives and they seem like they only need, maybe they need a coffee, you know. Get grumpy a coffee, maybe he'll feel better. Get stinky some deodorant, maybe they'll, they'll smell better. But they need more than coffee and deodorant. They need more than niceties and politeness. They need a new life. And sometimes the very people we're sitting next to in church need some life injected into them. Come on. Sometimes as Christians, we act like the ones who have it all together. We're walking around like, amen, brother, come on. We're walking around like, praise the Lord. God is good. But in your heart, you're like, I don't know if actually God's good today. I haven't experienced his goodness in like a month. Sometimes it's the person who's sitting right next to you that actually needs a life-giving moment from Jesus. Can I give you an action step today? This is your action step. Because nothing, nothing we're gonna, we've talked about is going to happen if you don't actually do something with this. This is the point of his neighborhood series. It's not to acknowledge what a great parable. Isn't Jesus a smart guy? It's to actually do something with this. So your action step today is this. Create space for life-giving conversations. Create space for life-giving conversations. Sometimes you've got to start with the, the gift card. You've got to start with the act of kindness to show that, yeah, I'm real. I'll put my money where my mouth is. I'm not just a talker. I'm a doer, okay? So it's a great place to start, but it can't stop there. We need to go beyond that and be willing to push through the awkwardness and create a space where life-giving conversation can happen. Jesus pushed through the crowd at the temple, and he pushed through the controversy that he was stirring to have that moment where he said, hey, go and sin no more. I'm giving you this, I'm giving you this new life now. I'm giving you this ability to, to change. Because if you don't change, if you don't do anything with what I've given you, guess what? It's going to be worse than you sitting by that pool waiting for somebody to chuck you in. So sometimes I feel like we can overthink this, right? Like we get to a space where we're like, okay, um, all right, which, which one should I start with? I got all these classmates and I got all, you know, these coworkers or these neighbors. Like which one should I start with, you know? And sometimes we're waiting for like a sign from God, right? Like, oh, that guy. Hey, that's the one I need to pick. Oh, man, God, you made it so obvious. Thank you. Ah, this is going to be great. Thanks. So sometimes that's what holds us back. We want to we go. We want this to be like a story from the Gospel of John. But our stories don't get recorded and shared. It's not like obvious in our physical world. It's obvious in like a spiritual realm, but not in our physical one. So we have to lean into moments sometimes that are just like really anticlimactic. It can be really anticlimactic to reach out to your neighbor. Sometimes it's like, okay, you pray in the morning. You're like, God, I'm going to reach this person today. God, give me the words to say. And you're saying, God, open their heart to receive. And then you go and you say, hi, my name's Joel. And they're like, hi. You're like, all right, where's that, 
what's, what's next? And you have no idea where the conversation's going, but if you're willing to push through those first awkward conversations, guess what? It shows that you want to take interest in what Jesus has interest in, right? Jesus is interested in that person we overlook. And it doesn't mean that when we stop overlooking them, it's all of a sudden going to turn into this John moment. Sometimes we create that as an expectation, but that's not necessarily what it means. Can I, can I just say, it's not necessarily about that one person, right? It's not like we're going to have a sign that, oh, that's the person that Jesus wants me to reach. It's about opening your life so that people see that your life is nothing more than a life that was changed because Jesus did something for you that you couldn't have done for yourself. That's what it's about. That's what, a, that's what creating that space can look like. Um, I want to share this, this other passage with you, and I'm going to bring this home. Ephesians 2, 20 to 21. Ephesians 2, 20 to 21. Look at what it says here. This is really powerful. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Remember how Bethesda was called the house of mercy? But this verse says we are the house. The people joined together are the house. And so if we're joined together and we're the house of mercy, this verse also says the cornerstone is Jesus himself. It's we're built on Jesus. We're built around what he does. Wherever we go, whatever neighbor you interact with, whether it's a home neighbor, a work neighbor, a school neighbor, a gym neighbor, a fun neighbor, whatever neighbor you have, that, you are representing our house. You're representing our house. There's, something happens, and they find out, oh, this guy's a Christian, this guy follows Jesus, and now you're, you're like a representative. Even if they don't know, you're still representing. We are now the house. All of us together, we are the house where people find mercy. We can represent that house well if we're willing to take this action step. And this is so important. This is part of who the church was supposed to be. Can I share a quote with you? Here's Pastor Kelly Stickle. He's a pastor in our organization. And he wrote this. The church becomes the hope of the world when its central purpose is to point people to Jesus. It becomes destructive religion when it points people towards a man or uses their sin to manipulate them. You know, sometimes we have neighbors and we know they sin because we sin. So if we sin, they have to be sinning because look at them and look at us, right? Um, but we look at our neighbors and we want to use their sin against them, right? Listen. You moved your fence two feet towards my property line. I'm not okay with that. You didn't consult me first, okay? And now, if you don't do something about that, there's like this sense where you're using what they did wrong to get them to do what you want them to do. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Hey, if we start manipulating people with their sin, our religion becomes destructive. But if we, as a house, together, can become that place where people find mercy, then we'll point people to Jesus and we'll become the hope of the world. I would have thought somebody would be a little bit more excited about that. I would have thought somebody would be a little bit more excited about that. Can we get excited about being the hope of the world this morning? Can we get excited about that? It's small action steps like this. It's small action steps. Start to create that space. Start today. Go see your neighbor. Maybe it's 30 seconds. 
30 seconds could lead to a minute, could lead to an hour, could lead to like a Saturday road trip. Who knows? It could lead to watching the game together. It could lead to walking your dog together. You find out your neighbor has a dog and you have a dog. It could lead to more. But the point is we have to be willing to start to make that first step. It's not necessarily going to be an obvious sign. This story is incredible and maybe you're here and you're thinking, okay, I know who I am in this story. I'm the guy laying by the pool who's sick and who needs Jesus' help desperately. Maybe you're here and this kind of talk is new for you. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, I've never heard anybody talk about the church's purpose this way. And you're thinking, is there a possibility for me to find mercy? Yes, this morning, you could find mercy. How does it work? I want to invite you. If you don't know who Jesus is, if you want to know him personally, if you want to make him your savior, the Lord of your life, I want to invite you just to pray. It's very simple. You just acknowledge Jesus is alive, he rose from the dead. And that by what he did on that cross, he offered you mercy because you needed it. You needed mercy. Can I tell you something? I need mercy if I'm going to love all my neighbors. I need God's mercy. I am, in and of myself, I am a no good candidate to go loving on my neighbors. But with Jesus, everything changes. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you've never given your life to him, I want to invite you, make a commitment this morning to him. Last part, believe what he did for you. You confess that now Jesus is the Lord of my life and you commit to following him. And that's how you receive Jesus. If you want to receive Jesus this morning, come on, just pray. Pray with somebody. Anybody in this front row, you can come talk to us. We'll pray with you. We'll get you connected with some resources. We'll get you plugged into a community. We'll love on you and help you in these next steps of this new journey. I want to encourage you, there's neighbors that we need to be loving on. One of the easiest ways we can do that, church, if you don't know where to start, is start in-house. Start with the neighbors that you see here every Sunday. We have ways to make it easy for you to start. We have this thing called the pantry. Bring some food. Love on a neighbor. There's people that are overlooked because they don't want to ask for help. That guy, there's no indication to say that he asked anybody for help. Sometimes it's not about the asking. It's just about the offering. It's just about the offering. Why don't you stand with me this morning? We're going to go into a time now where we sing to our God. We're going to go into a time where we sing. And we believe that in these moments, God begins to come and He begins to speak to each one of us. If you're here and you're like, man, I have no idea where to start. Or I tried to love my neighbor and it didn't go so well. Or I have a neighbor and, you know, maybe, maybe you can love your neighbor, but you don't know my neighbor. And I tell you, worship is a great place to bring that to the foot of the cross. And lay all those reservations and excuses down say, God, I am yours. I believe in what you can do. You did it for me, so God, I believe that you can use me to do it for them. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you didn't leave us at the side of the road. And again, you didn't leave us begging for healing at the side of a pool. But God, you decided to engage. You decided to engage with us. God, I pray that in this time of 
worship, get more of a sense of who you are, more of a sense of your heart, that you are deeply interested in those that we have forgotten about. God, burn it on our hearts this morning. Burn it on our hearts that this is not about, this is not about getting along. It's about the life that you want to give. God, I ask that for somebody here, they haven't experienced your life for a long time, or maybe ever. Father, I pray right now in this moment, as your presence begin to fill this place in a tangible way, in a way that we can interact with and engage with. God, I ask that your life begin to fill those here who are empty, dry, need a touch from you. In Jesus' name. Well, we hope you got a lot out of today's sermon. If you'd like to connect with us, please feel free to check out our website at frvc.ca. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Have a great day, everyone.